This is a crowd podcast. Let's let's start then with a sort of skeleton. Let's imagine Joshua Fury is a fight. It could be anyone. We hear, oh, it's 100 million, 200 million pound fight. Tell us, where does the money come from? There's obviously different paths and like George was involved on when we did the profit shares of like certain shows. So as some fighters get to a certain level, they become so big that they essentially own the show. The money's all their money and we take a cut, essentially a commission from it. And that gives them the fairest sort of position of they're getting what they're worth. You know, traditionally in boxing, it's always been spoken about people take, you know, promoters take too much money, etc. And that has been the case a lot of the times. You know, promoters were taking too much money. Even in, more in the US now, there's still people taking 30, 40% of fighters' money, which is insane. Like, it's insane that it's still around now. But I think there's different models. When we look at a P&L, it's like you've got the TV revenue, you've got the international side of it, obviously the UK domestic side, depending on where the show is, sponsorship, ticketing, merchandise, not as big anymore. You've got radio rights. There's a load of elements that go in there. Then there's shows where you've got like a site fee deal, similar to when we go to certain territories where they buy the rights out, like Saudi. They buy all the rights, they take the risk on those rights. So we sit and we go through the pot essentially every week. We've got P&Ls for every show we do. They're very samey-same. Obviously, the numbers are the things that change, but it's the same thing we do every week. You've got all the costs that go, go into that as well. So it depends on the level of fighter as well. Because like I say, there's the, there's the star attractions at who, like AJ, for example, who will get the revenue of the show and we take our commission. Otherwise, it's a, it's a purse where we look at the budget and we say, these are all our costs. This is the undercard. This is the main event, etc. And it works that way. Mm. Also, there's an element of sometimes businesses will make a decision to overpay for something because at the time they need it. You know, like at the minute we're in a, a period where there's more promoters in the UK than ever with TV deals. And they may be looking at things saying, right, we need to overspend here. We'll lose money on the show in order to sign these names or sign these fighters. You know, we've always been quite a structured business of we're a, before boxing, we're a business, a business has to make money. And as much as everyone on the internet jokes about how they know the numbers, we've, we've got a successful business and without a successful business, we wouldn't be where we are today. So everything, everyone's got their own reasons for going through these numbers of like, there may be other promoters who are overpaying for something right now because they need to deliver what they're delivering. But you can't actually, if you look at the figures, it doesn't make any sense. But that's everyone's choice to make. You know, the other side where the fighters own the show, like, you know, like Anthony Joshua, is obviously a risk element as well, where if the pay-per-view doesn't deliver or if the tickets don't deliver, you're not making as much money as you thought, but you're getting the fair value. So there's all different ways to look at it. We're lucky as a business that we've been going for like over 40 years now we got substantial cash across we don't people forget as well we do 11 different sports something like 400 events a year across sports we can do things that other people can't like we sit in a meeting room and go right we're going to spend x million on this and not have to think about where the money comes from essentially and we're lucky that if we believe in something we can take the risk without too much thought around look barry wouldn't like me like he doesn't want to sit in there going right let's just chuck a load of money over here because we got it but we're lucky that we can do that without thinking a lot of businesses can't do that you know from a cash flow perspective even the fury against Dillian White fight I know we lost that bid but we bid something like 33 million dollars so you're still sitting there going right we've got to deliver on pay-per-view we've got to deliver this gate we've got to deliver this, this we lost it so it's irrelevant 
But every time we go through that process, you know, there's always that scenario where actually it couldn't go too well here. So you said you bid, was it, did you say 33? 33 million some or 32 million so something. And can you remember whether you'd crunched the numbers and this was something that was just an investment and you were going to lose a bit of money or was you going to make money on that show? We crunched the numbers and it was, if it goes well, we could do all right, not crazy. Like when you think about fronting up a $33 million investment or whatever the number was, like there has to be significant opportunity to make money on that. Otherwise you're going, what, well, what are we even bother it? Like if the downsides, we lose five, six, seven million and the upside is we make a million. What are we doing here? So it wasn't like a home run, you'll be fine here if we win at this price. There's always the bit where we make up the little number at the end. Oh, that always, that yeah. always will get Every purse bid is the same. It's like, <laughs> Chuck a uh, yeah, or like the other week, 88,742, just in case someone bids 88,741. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a big, it's a big risk. I think in the end that for that fight, I think it was a record, world record purse bid, a heavyweight or something like that. In the yeah. end, the one that won the Frank Warren or Queensbury bid that won. Yeah, Frank Warren won it, yeah, $43 million. I remember sitting on there, I was quite shocked by that one. A bit like when Triller bid six and a bit million for uh, Cambosis uh, Lopez, sorry. Yeah. and didn't do it but Frank Warren represented Tyson Fury who had 80% of the purse bid they could essentially not manipulate the bids the wrong way of saying it but ultimately if they'd already done a deal with Tyson Fury their only exposure was 20% of whatever the number was on top of ours whereas if we did it we're paying out the whole lot the whole lot I think what we should do here is get into what a purse bid is because I think there'll be people even proper boxing fans who hear the per term purse bid don't really know what it is so at what point in the would a in a sort of process of making a fight, would a per purse bid occur? Why would you need a purse bid? So traditionally, if it's a mandatory fight ordered by a sanctioning body or even the British Boxing Board of Control, they do it with their, their regular purse bids. If two fighters, most of the time it comes down to it, if two fighters are represented by two different people, you can't come to a deal because a lot of the time you've got, you've got your own reasons for wanting the fight. You might have your own broadcast that you need to deliver it for. The fight will traditionally go to purse bid. So an example of that, as I said, uh, Tiafimo Lopez against George Cambosis. Tiafimo Lopez was promoted by Bob Arum. And top rank. Uh, George Cambosis I, was with the Bella, I believe, but I think there was talks with Triller who had just come into the market and everyone was like, like there's going to be huge money for this fight. So when you're offering, maybe George Cambosis, say, I don't know what he'd earned before, but maybe he'd earned $50,000, $100,000, his biggest purse. I don't know whether that's true. Might be $100,000. But when the purse bid comes up, obviously Teofimo Lopez is on a lot more money than that retrospect in terms of splits. So the IBF purse bid split is 65-35. So if Cambosis' biggest purse was 100K, say, and Tiafimo's was, I don't know, a million dollars maybe to fight Lomachenko, and then he's a bigger star as well. Obviously, if you put those numbers together, they don't really match up. So for a fighter who has worked their way into that mandatory position, but maybe hasn't earned as much money, that's the opportunity for them to actually earn a lot of money. A bit like AJ Pulev, for example. AJ is a huge commercial draw. And you can't really show, you can't compare the two. If you compared the two's earnings or like their ticket sales, you'd go, yeah, I can understand that. But again, it's a 65-35 per split. In favour of the champion. In favour of the champion. Yeah. So when it comes to negotiating that fight, that fight didn't go to purse bids. We ended up doing a deal. But you're in a harder position because they go, oh, we'll just go to purse bid because we know the revenue attached to that. But it doesn't mean that Kubrick Pulev is necessarily worth the money that he got. I'm not saying any fighter's not worth Every fighter gets in the ring and deserves to make as much money as possible because what they put themselves through. But obviously, commercially, there is that angle where you say, well, he's never made or 
he would make this for any other fight but because you're getting in there with such a superstar Canelo another one Canelo Purse is dwarf most other people's in boxing. But if he goes to purse people with someone, you know, that person will be getting a massive payday.